Amen. Well, it's good to be able to come to church. So, yeah. Last week I got up, uh, got showered, got ready to go, and my daughter Grace told me, she's like, Dad, did you know that church is canceled today? I was like, is that a joke? What do you mean? So that was how I found out. So, um, yeah, and you know, you don't know what you're missing until it's sort of gone. And so I know what it's like to be on vacation, but to be ready to come to church and then be like, no, you can't. Uh, there was something about that just that felt off, and maybe it felt off for you too. But it makes me super grateful that we can be here today. And so uh, I'd like to spend just a minute or two um, in prayer before we look at God's word, just saying thank you to God that we can do this. I'm grateful for power. I'm grateful for a building. Uh, and I'm grateful that he's asked us to come together. And so would you bow your heads as I lead us in a time of thanksgiving uh, as well as prayer. Father, we are really, really grateful, uh, God, that you have given us a church family, uh, that you've invited us into your house, uh, that we can come to this place. And God, we know that the church is not a building, but we're really grateful for this building. And we're grateful for the electricity. We're grateful for sound amplification. We're grateful for air conditioning. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for windows that let in light. Uh, God, thank you that you've given us a home that we can, as, a, as your church, meet. God, thank you for the fact that you have chosen in your kindness to give us this building without debt and that you've allowed us to continue to make improvements to us and that we can offer sacrifices and offerings and use that to build, uh, God, your temple, which is the people that are here, but also this building, which is a sacrifice of our love for you. And so, God, we're really grateful. Thank you, Lord, for the chance to be able to gather together. And, Lord, the gratitude that we have for what you've given to us also reminds us to be in prayer for those who are in need in our world around us. And so, God, we pray earnestly for the people of Somalia who are facing an incredible famine. Uh, God, we pray that as we think about Joseph and the famine in Egypt, uh, Lord, we ask that you would provide for them, uh, for both Christians and for non-Christians, that you would feed them. Uh, Lord, you cause the rain to fall from the heavens on both the wicked and the righteous. And so, Lord, we ask in your mercy, God, would you provide food? Uh, Lord, uh, estimates are that hundreds of thousands of people could starve to death. Lord, please don't let that happen. Uh, God, we can feel helpless in the face of such tragedy and difficulty. But Lord, we turn to you and pray for mercy and grace. God, we ask for uh, the people of Ukraine and Russia who are going through such difficult time. Lord, we pray that you would stop evil, uh, that dictators would not be allowed to uh, infringe upon the rights of others, that they would not imprison and enslave and uh, cause such havoc in this world, Lord, that you would cause good to triumph. And Lord, we pray for those who are suffering in, in both countries, Lord, from deception, Lord, and from confusion, for those whose families are displaced, for whom there is separation and refugees, Lord God, would you have mercy. Lord, please do not let us or them put hope in weapons, uh, Lord God, or tactics or money or strategy, but in you. And God, we pray that people in Ukraine and in Russia, both alike, would turn to you. Uh, God, you are the God who uh, causes wars to cease and brings peace upon the earth. 
Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters in China, Lord, who are suffering, God, as they uh, go to church in the midst of a regime that would prefer for them not to meet. Lord, would you have mercy and allow your church to grow? It grows best, it seems, in persecution. Uh, Lord, and so would you show your power and your might? Would you be with them? For those that have grown tired of uh, persecution and difficulty, would you give them strength? Uh, Lord, would you help them? God, would you help us here not to take for granted the fact that we get to do this, that we can meet together? And Lord, would you make it worth our while, uh, God, by meeting with us? Uh, Lord, as much as we like the building, as much as we're grateful for the electricity, as much as we even enjoy the fellowship and the company, we've really come here to meet with you. And so, Lord, would you speak through the passage that you have chosen for us today? And God, would you bless us because you have promised to. And so we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we spent some time talking about the fact that all of us are often going on journeys with God. Those journeys can be literal journeys, like moving off to college, moving to a new house, being asked by God to follow him to a different country. Those journeys can also be metaphorical, entering into the journey of marriage, struggling through the journey of infertility, going through the journey of cancer, or even experiencing the journey of a loved one that has been uh, taken home to heaven. And the journeys of life are things that God allows or ordains or arranges for us so that we can go on these journeys with him. But as we continue to think about the journeys of life, we have to be honest to say that to go on a journey There are costs associated with it. There can be emotional costs. Uh, There can be mental costs. There can be physical costs. And yes, there are usually financial costs for the journeys of life. Two weeks ago, I talked to you about the fact that uh, Lisa and I, many years ago, went on a journey with God to England. That was not free. (laughs) It was a costly journey. And so this raises the question, if we know, and we do, that we're going to be going on these types of journeys in the future, should we as Christians be preparing now financially for those journeys? Knowing that there is a cost involved, should we be saving? Should we be planning? Should we be preparing? To put this question in other words, Should a Christian have a college fund? Should a Christian have a retirement fund? Should a Christian have an emergency fund to be preparing for whatever emergencies might come up that God may call us to this or that? Should we be prepared for these types of future journeys? Well, as we think about that question, not from a human wisdom point of view, but from what the Bible has to say, On one hand, the answer from the Bible to the question, should you and I be saving financially for future journeys? The answer from the Bible is no. After all, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, talking to his disciples about a journey that he told them they're going to go on. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, no extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. 
Jesus says to his 12 disciples as he sends them out, don't worry, I'll take care of you. Just go do what I've asked you to do and don't worry about saving up for this or paying for this. This was our experience when we moved to England. We did not have an England fund that we had been putting into for years and years and years. God called us to go on a journey and he asked us to trust him by faith on that journey and God miraculously provided for us week after week, month after month through that entire journey. So on one hand, you could answer from the Bible, no, Christians are not supposed to be saving up for future journeys. On the other hand, you could answer the question, yes, from the Bible. Luke 14, Jesus says, if somebody's going to build a tower, they should sit down and plan and make sure that they have saved and prepared enough to build the tower. Otherwise, God is not honored by simply entering into this with no planning, no preparation, and no saving. Well, which is it? <laughs> Are Christians supposed to save money for future journeys? Or are we supposed to just simply trust the Lord? Is it yes or is it no? Well, as is true of so many things in the Bible, it's both yes and no. Well, what does that mean? Is God contradicting himself? No, what it means is sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. And that God gives us passages that affirm both, not in contradiction to one another, but because sometimes we are a season in which God needs to say to us, yes, save, prepare, be ready. And sometimes he says to us, no, just trust me. I'm going to take care of this and provide. This morning... We're in one of those passages in which God is saying yes. Yes to saving, yes to preparing, yes to thinking through how our finances are supposed to work in regards to the journeys of life God calls us on. We want to take that passage seriously. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that story. And I'd like to share with you some principles about saving and about finances that I believe come to us from God through that passage. While we're doing that, I don't want anybody here to forget that there are some no passages in the Bible. And that sometimes God calls us to go on journeys for which we cannot and should not prepare even financially for those journeys. We're not going to look at those passages this morning, but I just want to keep in mind that perhaps God may be calling you on a journey in which you're going to have to walk by faith. But today, our passage, God is speaking to us about saving, preparing, and being ready for when God calls us on whatever journey may be coming next. So if you will, would you take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 47. Genesis 47, it's page 41 in the Bibles the church provides. Genesis 47, and let me remind us where we are in the story of the book of Genesis. Joseph, who is one of Jacob's 12 sons, was sold into slavery by his brothers, 
But what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good to get Joseph to Egypt. Joseph is going to Egypt to prepare the way for Jacob and the rest of his family to come to Egypt. But God knows he is going to use a famine to do that. And so he is making preparations for all that's going to happen. While Joseph is in Egypt, God reveals to him via a dream that there are going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And God instructs Joseph through this dream to help Egypt prepare for the seven years of famine that are coming by being wise and saving during the seven years of prosperity. So Joseph is placed in charge of everything in Egypt to get ready for the seven years of famine. And during the seven years of prosperity, Joseph builds granaries in all of the cities. He stores up mountains and mountains and mountains of grain so much that they finally just stop counting and keeping track. It is more than can, can anybody can account for. Where we are in the story now in Genesis 47 is the seven years of plenty are over. And now come the seven years of famine. Look with me in verse 13 as I read our story for us. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Canaan is where Jacob and the rest of his sons live. So this is not just a national famine, it's a regional famine. Egypt and Canaan. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? <clears throat> By us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought your, you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so that you can plant the ground. 
But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Five insights from this passage about being prepared financially for what might be coming in the future. Number one, the borrower is slave to the lender. That literally happens in this passage. The Egyptians seem like they have enough money for a year or two, but pretty soon their money has run out. Now remember, they experienced the same seven years of plenty that everybody did. But apparently Joseph is the only one who's doing some saving. It seems that the people of Egypt and of Canaan think the prosperity is never going to end. And so they enjoy the seven years of prosperity, but when the seven years of famine come, they have some money, but it is quickly exhausted. They come back the next year with no money and they have no hope. There's no food. What are they going to do? And so they say to Joseph, well, what do we, we, we have to have food. Joseph says, well, sell me your livestock. Now you and I might think, well, why don't you kill the livestock and eat it? But that's not going to get them through the year. That's only going to last so long. They need grain. They've got to be able to plant stuff to grow. And so they sell their livestock in exchange for food, seed. Well, the next year, there are no more livestock anymore. Well, now what are they going to do? They need more money. Again, it's either die or what? Well, all they have left is to sell themselves and their land to Pharaoh and literally by the end of the journey they are in bondage now it doesn't take great imagination to replace Egypt with sort of college and the fact that year after year many of us sometimes wrongly but many of us are convinced we can't live without a college education how would we make it in the future and so we go to a school and say sell us an education and we give all of our money and our lives our cars whatever else it is and pretty soon we're like well what about next year well that'll get me through this year and then next year now I got to start taking out debt and then more debt and then more debt and then finally at the end of the journey, the borrower is now crushed under a weight of debt. And literally the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. And the principle from the passage is, if you know a journey is coming, 
It is often from the Lord to save for that journey, to prepare for that journey. During the seven years of prosperity, to get ready for what is coming in the future. The principle is also, only with lots of prayer and with guidance and very carefully should a person enter into the kind of debt that we see going on in this passage. And so the first principle, the borrower is slave to the lender. If you know seven years of famine are coming, if you know there is a journey of college or retirement or a wedding or a new house or a move, if you know that is coming in the future, it is often from the Lord to begin to save during years of prosperity and plenty to prepare for that. Second insight from this passage. God gives Joseph's to his people. Joseph is a blessing to Egypt, Canaan, and his own family. Nobody else appears to be saving, but Joseph is gung-ho on getting through those seven years of famine. If it's not for Joseph, Egypt doesn't make it, Canaan doesn't make it, and his whole family doesn't make it. And so we thank God that there's at least one person who is paying attention to what's coming in the future. And through that one person, God provides rescue and blessing for so many others. So it is today. God loves to give Joseph's to his people. Men and women who are gifted with financial wisdom from the Lord and financial resources from the Lord to be able to be a blessing. That might be somebody in this church. It might be somebody in the wider community. Maybe it's a financial planner. Maybe it's a relative of yours who has financial wisdom and insight from the Lord. Maybe it's a friend who's offering you financial advice. Don't miss the fact that this might be a Joseph sent to you by God to be a blessing to help you prepare for journeys that are coming in the future. That God does not leave his people to fend for themselves, but sends Joseph's to help us and to guide us. Now you might think, well, does that mean you should just take financial advice from anybody who offers it to you? No, don't do that. <laughs> Well, how do you know if the person who's your relative or friend or this financial provider, how do you know if they're a Joseph from God or not? Here's a quick test for you. I pulled it out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Just run this person that you are considering taking advice from through this passage in your mind. God says, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, 
unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. If the person who is offering you financial advice has any of those characteristics, I would not take their advice. On the other hand, if the person in your life looks something like Joseph, if they flee from sexual immorality like Joseph did, if they're the kind of person who is willing to be steadfast for the Lord like Joseph was, if they have endured suffering and been in prison and gone through whatever it may be like Joseph did, if they're willing to forgive their siblings for what their siblings did to them like Joseph did, this is probably a gift from God. And so we want to look around and say, God does not leave us alone to fend for the future by ourselves. He provides Joseph's to his people who he blesses with unique insights, godly wisdom, and financial resources. And so a thing for you and I is we're thinking about future journeys. Is there a Joseph in your life that can help? Number three, and this point is particularly for the Josephs who are here. For those to whom God may have given financial resources and financial wisdom like he did for Joseph. The purpose of your planning and saving is to be a blessing to others. You and I are not just saving and preparing and planning for ourselves. You see, Joseph is the reason why Egypt and Canaan are saved. But notice that while it's Joseph's wisdom that saves Egypt, it's his generosity that saves his family. His dad and his brothers, his nieces and his nephews, they're not lined up selling themselves for food. Why not? Because Joseph is generously taking care of them. It would have been easy, I think, for Joseph to sit back and say to his brothers, well, why weren't you saving during the times of plenty like I was? You should have had a college fund. You should have had a 401k. You should have done all of those things. You're on your own. Good luck. Be warm and be fed. That is not what Joseph does. Joseph recognizes that his brothers had other things they needed to be doing. While Joseph has been saving and planning and preparing in Egypt, his brothers have been taking care of their dad in Canaan. His brothers have been filling out and, and multiplying and filling the earth like God commanded and building the nation of Israel. They have been inhabiting the land that God promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph recognizes, my job was to be sent to Egypt to save and plan and prepare. Your job was to do other things. And so Joseph is not judgmental. It's not guilt and shame and said he's generous. Because we know Joseph's story. And we know that everything he has is a gift from God. 
And I guarantee you, any person in this room, any person listening online, if we knew your story, if you knew my story, I guarantee we would also see the same thing. Everything we have is from the Lord. Freely Joseph received, freely Joseph gave. We should do the same. Number four, we must not forget to give the Lord his due. Now this is a different point than number three. Number three is about us being generous to others. Number four is about giving money directly to God. In our story, that's represented by the fact that Joseph provides for the priests. We're not talking about Egypt and we're not talking about his family. We're talking about the priests in Egypt. Joseph provides for them and that is a sign and a symbol that we must not forget giving the Lord his due. I said to you about passages in the Bible that there's some passages about saving and there's some passages about just trusting the Lord. If you add up all of those passages about saving and those kinds of things, it might be about this much. If you add up all the passages about giving in the Bible, it would go from the floor to the ceiling. God is not ambiguous about giving. Every journey, everything we go on, we are always giving. We might be saving, we might not be saving, but we are always giving. Why? Because giving is itself an act of worship and an expression of faith. After all, remember, these are supposed to be journeys with God. How sad would it be to have a fully funded college journey and to go on it without the Lord because you had failed to give him his due? What good does it do a person to have a fully funded retirement and to go into your retirement years quenching the spirit because you failed to give the Lord his due? One of the problems with talking about finances with regards to journeys is that the finances can become the focus instead of the journey. The purpose of the journey is to get to go somewhere with God. The purpose of the journey is not to pay for the journey. And so one of the ways we're able to do that is no matter what our situation, we are reminded, give the Lord his due. Fifth and finally... Don't underestimate God's ability to multiply small things into something big. The sign of this point is hidden in our story in verse 23. Here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. In the very fabric of creation... God has designed this point into how life works. A seed produces a hundred times as much of what it is. 
This is a reminder to us that the God that we serve is a God who takes the little that we offer to him and multiplies it in far greater ways than we can ever imagine. This is not the miraculous. This is what God has built into the fabric of creation. Seeds create abundant harvests. Remember the little boy who was setting out for the journey of his day and decided to take with him five loaves and two fish for his lunch? He was headed on a journey that day to go see Jesus and he had planned, hey, look, I bet there's gonna be a time in which we're gonna need some food to eat. So he's preparing for the journey and so he brings his lunch with him. What he was not prepared for was the fact that 5,000 other people all forgot their lunches that day. Here's one little boy prepared for the journey and 4,999 other people who didn't bother to think that lunch might come after breakfast. Now what's amazing to me is Jesus is present and Jesus is the one who created the whole world out of nothing. It would have been no sweat for Jesus to just simply speak the word and have bread fall from the sky or to simply create food out of nothing, but that's not what he does. He takes what this little boy has prepared for the journey and he multiplies it into something far, far greater than anybody could have imagined. That boy thought he was only going to feed himself on his journey and it turns out he had to feed 5,000 people. Why? He doesn't have enough lunch for that. But what he does is he gives what he has to Jesus and says, here's what I saved. Would you please do something with this? So it is with us. You may not be able to save enough for college. It's super expensive. But if you have saved what you can, give it to the Lord and say, please do something more with this than it would buy on its own. If you have been trying to prepare for a journey God has you going on with a new house or a new child or retirement, or a health journey, and you haven't been able to take care of everything, give him what you have saved and ask him to do with it far more than you can imagine. That's what God does. Don't worry about inflation. Don't worry about tanking markets. God is not worried about the amount If you have saved and prepared in good faith the best that you can, take what little you have to offer, give it to the Lord, and let him do something really, really beautiful with it. Before we close, let me answer two questions that this sermon might have raised in your mind. First, how do you know if you're on one of the prepare financially for the future journeys? or the just trust the Lord, he's going to take care of everything journey? Well, of course, the answer is pray. Listen to the Lord's voice. But also, keep in mind that this morning's sermon is not from Matthew 10, it's from Genesis 47. And if you're about to embark on a journey or you know that one is coming and you came here this morning and you hear Genesis 47, it's pretty safe to say that most likely God is telling you, you are on a prepare for the future kind of journey. And keep this principle in mind. 
if God tells you about a journey coming in the future with enough time to prepare for it, it's probably a prepare for the future kind of journey. If God tells you that college is coming or retirement is coming or that you've got a move coming or a new child is coming or a house is coming or marriage is coming with enough time to prepare, you're probably on a prepare for the future kind of journey. What I would do is I would try to save whatever you could. I would ask God to show you a Joseph. Somebody who God has given wisdom and advice to that he can provide counsel to say, okay, I think this journey is coming. How do I take the little that I have and try to prepare for that? I would make sure to give God his due and then I would take whatever you end up with by the time the journey arrives and say, Lord, I heard that sermon from Genesis 47. I started setting aside a little bit. It's not nearly enough. But will you take this little bit saved in obedience and will you do something great with it? Second question that might be on your mind. Why didn't I hear this sermon 15 years ago before I entered into a lot of college debt or whatever it may be? Maybe you are today able to affirm more than most that the borrower is slave to the lender. And you're like, if I could just go back, I would do it differently. What does God have to say to me today? Well, this is what I think the encouragement from this passage and from the character of God is. It is true. The borrower is slave to the lender. It is more true that God loves to set the captives free. The story of Genesis, there's a little bit about borrowers and lenders, but there is a whole lot about a rescuing, redeeming God who loves to set people free from captivity. God is the one who led Jacob into Egypt knowing he's going to end up in captivity. He did it so that he can set him free. Perhaps the Lord allowed you into where you are with that because of what Satan meant for evil God wants to use for good. So what I would do is I wouldn't wish that I could turn back the clock 15 years. I would simply sit down with the Lord and I would confess whatever sins might have led to these decisions 15 years ago. I would confess to him any shortcomings, any foolishness, any selfishness, any ways in which we might have been responsible for some of this. And then I would ask to do, God to do exactly what he does. Lord, be gracious and merciful. Lord, come and set me free. I would ask God, show me a Joseph in this church. Somebody who's not going to approach me with judgment or guilt or shame. Somebody who will understand we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. And somebody, God, that you provided resources who would be willing to help. Show me that, Joseph. Lord, show me what I can do now. The little bit I can offer. The $10 a month, whatever it can do to begin to get out of this. I would not rob God of what he is due. I would first and foremost give to God because if you got any hope of getting out of this, 
It's not going to be your power. It's going to be his. I would give to God his due. I would try to give whatever I could to be set free. And then I would ask God, okay, Lord, take the little bit, multiply it into something more, set me free, and give me the chance to praise your name. In the end, this is not really a sermon about finances. It's a sermon about God. Sometimes God tells us to save. Those who obey will experience blessing. Those who disobey and confess will experience grace. Sometimes God tells us to walk by faith. It's interesting, on the way into Egypt, they're saving, Joseph is. On the way out of Egypt, no time to save. So God says, don't worry about the money, we're going to plunder Egypt on the way out. And as you leave, they're going to be throwing golden earrings and other jewelry at you. Just take it and go. Sometimes journeys. But all journeys are journeys with God. We want to be careful. We want to talk about the finances, but we don't want to let, let the finances become the main thing. The finances are a means to an end. So don't be afraid of how much college costs. Don't be afraid of retirement. Don't be afraid of health care costs. Don't be afraid of end of life costs. Be afraid of doing this without the Lord. Do it with the Lord. And you'll be reminded that all the silver and gold is his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. But he wants us. And this journey that you're on is designed by God for you financially as well to draw you closer to him. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.